Hi, welcome to Eat, Sleep, and Don't Die, your weekly dose of nightmares and monsters, otherwise known as paranormal activity and true crime stories. Join me today as we talk about The Watcher House. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 21, part 1. Um, this week's episodes are going to be a little wonky. Um, this first, sorry, <laughs> this first story that I'm doing, um, I didn't realize it was going to be as long as it was. So I'm going to do part one released at midnight going into Tuesday and part two will be released midnight going into Wednesday. So that gives me time to kind of rest my voice so I'm not talking for like an hour and a half straight. Um, that's one of the downsides to being a host by myself is that my voice does get tired from talking hours on end. Um, but, uh, so this episode will be released midnight into Tuesday. Part two will be released midnight into Wednesday. And then there's also a listener's episode this week, which will be released on Friday morning. So like that midnight Thursday into Friday. Um, and that's just so that I can get a couple more stories from people. Um, I currently only have like two stories, so I want to get a couple more in before I release that episode. I do have a story of my own to tell this week, a new one, so I'm pretty excited about it. Anyways, so I just wanted to give you guys that update quick on part one, part two, and then the listener stories. Um, but I also wanted to say Happy New Year, everybody. Um, I hope you guys set out manageable and maintainable goals for 2021. I know I personally did. I shared them on the last episode. So hopefully you guys made great goals for 2021. And I really sincerely hope that you guys made at least one fun goal for 2021. Because I think that's very important to have something fun to look forward to. Especially after I'm pretty sure everybody had something they weren't happy with in 2020. Um, some people had really hard years. Some people, it didn't really affect them that much. I know for me, I didn't personally have anything too traumatic happen in 2020. Um, I was unemployed for two months between switching jobs because of the virus. Um, so quick little story about that. I left my position at the mental health nursing facility that I was working at because I had accepted an offer at the post office and everything was good to go. I should have been hired within two weeks. So I gave my two weeks. I ended up working three weeks because the um, background check that should have come back within a week wasn't able to be completed because I I told you guys, I'm originally from New Jersey. I moved here in 2017. Well, the post office does a five-year background check. Like, um, they do like a full background check, but they did like a five-year, like intensive background check. And so obviously two of those years were in New Jersey. And at the time, New Jersey was already closed down. Their courts were closed. There was no way to get my records because there was nobody in the courts, you know? Um, so I ended up having to wait two months before I was able to start working at the post office. And 
So in those two months, I was home. I didn't have, there was no, I couldn't just get a job anywhere because I I didn't know how long I was going to be unemployed for. And then the worst part was I did not qualify for unemployment because I technically quit my job. I wasn't let go. And they didn't see that COVID was the reason that I was out of a job. Had COVID not been there, my background check would have cleared and I would have started right away. So um, I went two months unemployed, no money, nothing. So we lived off of just my husband's income for two months. Um, I tried to make some side money by selling some stuff that I do on the side, like crocheting and things like that. And I mean, it held me over, but it didn't really, it didn't really help when I needed it most. Um, so that's the, the worst thing that happened in 2020. But the best thing that happened was that I started a new job that I loved. Um, I also started this podcast. I, um, I got to pick up, so I have a 1967 Camaro convertible um, that my grandpa built for my mom and then it somehow ended up back in my grandpa's hands and he's had it all these years since like 1994, 1995 and it kind of just sat in his driveway and stuff so we went and picked that up this in 2020 so that was nice um, so it's currently in the garage and we will be working on it come the spring once it's nicer out I'm excited about that maybe I'll keep you guys posted on that um, let's see what else happened in 2020 a bunch of my vacations got canceled because they were like cruises and wanting to go places and you couldn't go anywhere um, so I guess I don't really have much to complain about is what I'm saying so hopefully you guys had okay 2020s but I hope you guys all have a wonderful 2021 um, I also found it very easy for me to switch writing the date from 2020 to 2021 which was pretty awesome so I was able to just seamlessly transfer over when I went to work today which was great um, I think I'm just ready to let go of 2020 um, I spent my New Year's night at home just quietly with my husband and my brother-in-law um, we were watching Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve um, and then we played a game of Life the Pirates of the Caribbean version and that was kind of fun I got second place my husband lost even though it seemed like he might have been winning at first but he lost I won <laughs> um, yeah so that's about it and then this past weekend I dove into baking more which has been something that I've been finding a lot of comfort in so I successfully made one batch of macarons today I mean this weekend and I made one that just turned out terrible so I think I'm gonna keep on going with that and seeing where that goes um but anyway enough of me babbling on uh let's get into the story for today So our first, or the only story, this part one, episode 21, um, is about the Watcher House, which is located at 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. Um, and yes, it's just called Boulevard. It's not like Boulevard Street or Avenue or like, I don't know, something before Boulevard. It's just 657 Boulevard. Um which is kind of weird, but 
It's Jersey. All of Jersey's weird. <laughs> um, so strap in because this is a, a long story. I think I've got like five or six pages to go through. <laughs> um, and I apologize if I sound like I'm farther away from the mic or too close to the mic. I'm kind of playing around with where I want to put the mic while I'm reading this because there's no good spot to put it. But anyway, we're going to get into this story. So on June 24th, sorry, June 2014, new owners, um, or one of the new owners, so it was a couple, Derek and Maria. Um, so new owner Derek Bradus, 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 I think it's Bradus, um, had finished painting the night for the night in their new house. And he went to the mailbox to check if there was any mail, but they'd only been They'd only closed on the house like a few days prior, so he wasn't expecting much. Um, and this was pretty much like their dream house. Um, and it was a big six-bedroom house. So the couple were doing renovations before they moved in. And when Derek checked the mail, he didn't expect much, but he pulled out a few bills and a white card, a white card-shaped envelope. And it was addressed the new owner, um, which it was written in a very like chunky, thick, messy handwriting. And then inside was a typed letter. So I only got parts of what the letter said, but I'm going to read you off this part of it that was in the article that I read. So it says, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, my father in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Um, so there was even more creepy sentences in this letter, including saying they see all the they see all the contractors flooding the property, destroying it, and saying tisk 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 bad move. You don't want to make. 657 unhappy 657 boulevard unhappy um the letter also mentions seeing the couple's three kids who were five eight and ten at the time and the writer said you have children i've seen them so far i think there are three that i have counted he then asked if there were more on the way and then the creepiest to me is when the writer says do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Um, so he ended, there was a lot in this first letter, but I couldn't get all of it. Um, but he ended this letter by saying, who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. 
Welcome, my friends, welcome. Let the party begin. And then he signed the letter, The Watcher. So the Broadduses bought the, brought the, they bought 657 Boulevard because it was their dream house. So Maria was raised in a house that was only a few blocks away from this one. And Derek grew up in a working class family in Maine, I believe. And he kind of built his way up a lot. La- he, he climbed the ladder is what I'm trying to say. He climbed the ladder at an insurance company in Manhattan and ended up becoming the senior vice president. So this afforded him the luxury of being able to purchase their dream home, which was 657 Boulevard, at a whopping $1.3 million. Um, the letter that they received had no return address, and Derek was alone in the house when when he saw it, when he, re- when he received it. So he ran and shut all the lights off in the house so that nobody could see in. And then he proceeded to call the Westfield Police Department. Um, When an officer arrived and read the letter, he said, what the F is this? And asked Derek if he had any enemies and then recommended that he move a large construction equipment that was out on the back porch inside because he figured if there was somebody stalking the place, they might try to throw that through a window to get into the house. So Derek rushed home to his wife and his kids and they wrote an email like Derek and Maria wrote an email to the couple that they had purchased the house from and asked if they knew who the watcher was since the letter included a line that said I asked the woods to bring me young blood and it looked it looked like they listened. Um so and Andrea Woods, the or Andrea, I'm going to say Andrea. Um, Andrea Woods replied saying a few days before, saying that a few days before they moved out, they had received a letter from the watcher claiming that the watcher's family observed the house over the years, but that they hadn't ever received letters like this in the 23 years that they lived in the house. So they only received it a few days before they moved out. It wasn't something that they had ever received before. And police advised the family not to mention the letters to anyone, including their new neighbors, because they were all suspects in the letter writing. Um, And the couple spent the next few weeks on high alert, and Derek canceled work trips. Maria didn't let the kids wander in the yard much. Derek even paused while giving a tour of the renovations to a couple on the block. When the woman said, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood, which would kind of cue me to something weird that she would phrase it like that. But then again, a lot of people say that when you're talking about young people moving into an older neighborhood. Not saying that Westfield is an older neighborhood, but I think at the time there were a lot of younger families moving in as older families were moving out. Um... But don't quote me on that because I don't I didn't live anywhere near Westfield. <laughs> um, so two weeks later, Maria checked the mail to see a letter with the same black font and the first that the first letter had come in. So just to give you um, just a tiny background that I didn't mention, the family never actually moved into this house. So this whole time they are still living somewhere else while paying the mortgage and the property taxes on this house 
and renovating it. Um, so this new letter said, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will. So he addressed the couple as the Bradises, which they think was because they had heard them their names being called by contractors. Like, oh, Mr. Brad, Mr. Bradis, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't quite hear it right, so they think that the watcher wrote the Bradises. Um, and the letter identified their three kids in birth order, and it even included their nicknames. And then it says, I am pleased to know your names now, and the names of the young blood you have brought me. And then, I had to take a screenshot of this because it was just super long. Um, the letter continued on and it said, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hall, the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic, or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know better who is in which room. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Bradis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought, what brought you... Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. So that was really, that was just creepy. When I read that, I was like, I would have put the house up for sale right away. Like, I would have just been like, nope, we're not moving into this house. I'm done renovating it. We're not touching this house. I would have left because I'm a little chicken shit. And you just threaten my family. You want to know where my family is going to be in the house, what room is going to be their room, where they're going to sleep, where they're going to play. No thanks. You don't need to know any of that. Um, so the couple wasn't sure if or when they would actually move into this house. So several weeks later, a third letter arrived and, it's, and it had this phrase that said, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. So like I said, this whole time, the family never lived in the house. They lived other places. Um, so the house was built in 1905 and was one of the grandest homes on the block at the time. So, and I, it still kind of is. Um, so when the Woods put it on the market, they received many offers on it. And this led the Broadduses to believe that the Watcher could be someone that they outbid though Andrea Woods or Andrea Woods believed that it was someone in the neighborhood um, and not somebody that was outbid because I think she said like one of them 
dropped out because he got really sick. Another one dropped out for other reasons or whatever. Um, but the letters did indicate someone local and they were processed because they were processed in the, the Kearney USPS distribution center, which is the Northern distribution center for New Jersey, which is where Westfield is located. It's like, uh, in Jersey, like 40 minutes or something from Manhattan, which is where Derek worked. Anyway, the first, the first postmarked before the house's sale. Oh, the first letter was postmarked before the house's sale was made public. Um, so it, it also indicated somebody that had an inside knowledge because there was also never a for sale sign out front of the house. So the Woods family never put a for sale sign outside. So it would be somebody that had inside knowledge that knew the house was up for sale to begin with. Um, in one of the letters, the watcher had mentioned one of the kids being artistic on the porch with like using an easel. Um, however, the couple walked an officer around the house and it showed them that the easel that the child was using was hidden from street view. Like you could only see it if you were behind the house or in one of the neighbor's houses, like directly next door. Um, a few days after the first letter, the family attended a barbecue across the street in their honor, welcoming them to the neighborhood. Um, so the family tried to play it cool the kids had no idea what was going on. It was just Derek and Maria. Um, and Derek began chatting with John Smith, John Schmidt, who was a neighbor from two doors down. And John started telling Derek about the Langfords who lived between them. Um, and he told him about an adult child named Michael who lived in the house who was odd but harmless and even described him as being kind of like the Boo Radley character. Um, and Derek figured that this Michael Langford could be the culprit of the letters and he told police but they said that they had already looked into him and that they really had no evidence against him. So the reason that Derek thought it could be this Michael Langford is because the house his house you could easily see that easel that was on the back um on the back porch or in the back of the house wherever it was um the langfords would also know that the woods family was selling the house because they lived right next door um the father of the langfords the father had lived in that house since the 1960s which the 1960s is when the father of the watcher was watching the house supposedly and the father had died 12 years earlier from 2014 and so the watcher was on the job for the better half of two decades or whatever so they're thinking that the the father of the Langfords was kind of getting sick so the son took over watching the house and that's what kind of the time frame kind of fits or whatever um but the police never did anything. So after the second letter, Derek told cops to do something about it. Like about, because he at this point was still thinking that it was Michael Langford. So, yeah, Michael Langford. Sorry, I was like, wait a minute, did I say it wrong? Um, so Derek told the cops to do something or he would. So he said that this person attacked my family 
and where I'm from, if you do that, you get your ass beat. Which, I hear that, because where I'm from, it's the same way. So, Derek became obsessed and even set up cameras around the house, and he even laid out a map of all the neighbors and their houses, and then he overlaid it with who lived there for how long, and then he had like a circle that showed who was in earshot of the house that could hear their names and the kids' names being said, um, and all signs according to his, um, his drawings and, and the map and all that stuff, uh, pointed to the Langford house because they had lived there the longest and they were the closest and they could see the easel and blah, blah, blah. So he also ran background checks on them through a personal investigator, but all the background checks came clean on the Langfords. So there wasn't, there wasn't really too much that he can go off of. Um, so there were a couple other kind of suspicious people. So there was two child predators within a few blocks of the house. So they think, you know, it could have just been them preying on the fact that they moved into the neighborhood and they had a few young children. Um, and then the house painter had noticed a couple that lived behind 657 that kept two lawn chairs suspiciously close to the Braddis's property line. And the chairs faced the Bradis's house, not their own house. So he, um, the painter had even seen that the, the male in the house would sit in the chair and purposely look at the Bradis's house. So it was really odd to him. Um, and by the end of 2014, the case had pretty much stalled and the police had no new leads on who... Um, who the watcher could be so they didn't the family didn't move in for months out of fear and when they were asked why by neighbors and stuff they said it was just legal issues um so some ooh, some neighbors suspected that it could have been that they were getting a divorce which they weren't um but that was one of the most popular theories on why they weren't moving into the house uh, another theory was that they just were in over their heads financially on the house. But after six months, so six months after they bought the house, they decided to sell it. And they decided to include a disclosure that mentioned the letters that they received and that they would show these letters in full to whoever, whoever's offer was accepted on the house. A year later... So it, the house never ended up selling and people thought it was weird that they were so vague about these letters, but they didn't want everybody to know about the letters. Um, but a year later, they filed a legal complaint against the former owners, the Woods family, saying that they should have disclosed the letter that they received a couple days before they moved out. And they figured that this would be reached, uh, this would reach a quiet settlement so it wouldn't be anything major and they would just settle it quickly um but the story ended up going viral instead so the family became bombarded with publicity and the couple decided not to speak public publicly about the matter to spare their children more attention that they didn't want um and the finally the family finally had to tell their kids 
about the house and the watcher and and everything that was going on why they couldn't move in the house and of course the kids had so many questions um and the father even said like he had to tell his five-year-old that they couldn't move into the neighborhood because it wasn't safe for them and he felt terrible about it and whatnot um so these letters when they were released publicly or like when it went viral kind of tore up the emotions and feeling of safety in the area that the house was in which in that area was it's a wealthy area and um the people in the neighborhood felt very safe there so this made them feel a little more unsafe so a theory on forums online and stuff that a group in the neighborhood had come up with was that the Broadduses had sent the letters to themselves and they suffered from buyer's remorse or that they realized that they couldn't afford the home and the renovations so they made up this plan to get out of the sale of the house. I don't know how much that would actually work um, but it is what it is. So in 2016 they put the house back on the market but when the potential buyers would read the letters they all backed out of their sale so they didn't want the house anymore and finally someone agreed to rent the house with the clause that let him break the lease in case of another letter so this person that rented the house had a couple big dogs all their children were grown so there were no little kids in the house so it felt rather safe to have him in there and two weeks after he moved in another letter came for Derek so this is two and a half years after the first letter came another letter came um so it was a very wrathful letter it it suggested that the watcher was a neighbor and someone he had spoke to and seen often it also suggested that the watcher conspired with the neighborhood to save the house from the plan that the Broadduses had which a couple weeks prior they had went to the planning board to see if they could demolish the house split the property and build two other houses and that was shot down and like over a hundred neighbors came to say how they didn't want the house to be knocked down um so the renter was a little spooked but he agreed to stay if the Broadduses put cameras around the house um the letter also indicated revenge could come in the form in many different forms including an accident fire, illness, death of a pet, sudden death of a loved one, broken bones, like you name it, they just listed out a bunch of things that could randomly happen. Um, so the couple brought this letter to the police as fresh evidence and they didn't really come up with anything, honestly. Um, in 2018, they, also, they had a new renter that moved in, but this new renter's rent amount didn't even cover the mortgage. For the house so they also tried to avoid going past the house by the house whatever at all costs because of all the memories that it brought back the only time that they went there was to pick up the tax bill in July of 2019 they the Broaddus has finally sold the house for around nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars which if you remember they sold it or they bought it for 1.3 million so that's about a $400,000 loss from what they bought it for on top of already losing money for I don't know what is that five years that they had the house 
Um, in uh, so the history of how they tried to sell the house. So they bought it in June of 2014, and in May of 2015 they tried to they put it on the market for 1.25 million. And then again in March of 2016, they put it up for $1.25 million. And then in November of 2016, they dropped it to $1.19 million. Um, and then in October of 2017, they, they listed it again for $1.125 million. Um, and obviously none of those times it sold because it didn't sell until July of 2019. Um, and the theory is that they took that $400,000 loss because they sold rights to their story to Netflix. So, um, they, Netflix won a ferocious bidding war for movie rights to their story and they outbid Universal for Jason Bloom, Warner Brothers for Roy Lee, Paramount for J.J. Abrams, Amazon for Michael Sugar, and Fox for Peter Chernin. So Netflix must have bid a lot of money if they bid out Universal, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Amazon, Fox. Like, those are big production. I mean, network Netflix is pretty big also, but you've got big names for producers on there as well. So, or directors, not producers, sorry. Um, you have big names for your directors sorry I just like brain fart for a minute um so I I'm when I do the uh ending for this episode I'm going to see if I can find out what Netflix is planning to do with the rights to this watcher story or if they already released something I didn't look that up but anyway so they're figuring whatever they made on that deal of selling their rights to a movie um, makes up for that $400,000 that they lost in the sale of the house or if not it it made up even more than $400,000 <coughs> sorry um the new owners of the house want to remain anonymous so they don't want their names known or anything like that I'm sure if you look up public record you could find it but I'm not a hundred I'm not a hundred percent sure but I'm pretty sure there's something out there that you can figure out who now owns that house um but the new owners have also not been reached for comments so we don't know if they've received letters but they are living in the house so it's drastically different from when the Broadduses had bought the house and they didn't even feel comfortable enough to move in so if this new family has received a letter they are still living in the house so nothing is really known about this new family and the Broadus has said that they still they still live in the Westfield area and they just they come across the people that were so against them and and uh, there was a story that Maria ran into the head of the planning board for Westfield and she told them you know you picked the aesthetic of a street over my family's safety or something like that which I thought was pretty interesting because that happens all the time not just in this case like it happens a lot where people are like oh no I don't want my neighborhood to look different who cares about your safety or what happened in your house or whatever you know 
where you can't do what you want with your own house. Um, and I'm sorry if there's anybody that listens to this that's like, oh my god, that's how I am. Um, but that's pretty shitty that you choose the aesthetic of your neighborhood over your actual neighbors who are human beings. And especially this one, which who had young children, three kids that were 10 and younger. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just over mama bearish about it, but I feel like a lot of people would agree with me that that that's kind of poopy for someone to do. But that's the story of the Watcher House in Westfield, New Jersey. So there, I mean, the article I read, I tried to like, or the couple articles, I tried to pull things here and there. Um, it's a, there's a lot, a lot of information because Derek and Maria now have given a lot of information about it. Whereas back in 2014, there was no information on it. Even when the case broke and it became viral, there still wasn't a lot of information about it. Um, but there is a lot now. So hopefully you guys can go out and look more information up. There's a ton of theories about who the Watcher is, why they're around, what they want. Um, and so, yeah. And then, oh, I just, I just, it just hit me. I just remembered something. When the Watcher talks about something in the walls, um, there was an inspector that inspected the walls and there was nothing in there. <laughs> He told Derek there's nothing in the walls and if anything you just have a really like a lack of insulation in your walls like you need more insulation so um I just thought that was something kind of funny and weird that the watcher mentioned something about what's in the walls but there is nothing in the walls um so yeah that's that's the story guys so that is the end of episode 21 part one um which we'll be releasing in about 15 minutes from now by the time you guys hear this it'll probably be way after midnight but it's about 15 minutes from midnight for me <laughs> um so i wanted to give you a quick update that netflix deal was seven figures which means it was at least a million dollars and apparently it was paid mostly to an article that was written by The Cut about the Watcher House. But a portion of it does go to the family. So I don't know what that cut of the portion is that goes to the family. Um, and it didn't specifically say what, um, how much, I don't know, it didn't say what they were naming the movie or when it was being released it just says that the um what's it called the the website or like the news source that is breaking the report like breaking the news was deadline um that said netflix won a bidding battle over future rights to the watcher which is in um like quotes so maybe the movie's going to be called the watcher um which is an article by new york magazine outlet the cut or whatever it's called um and then it just says that it's seven figures 
and it says who's set to direct it and whatnot, but ah, it doesn't really, it says there's no release date for the movie according to the website, and I tried to look up The Watcher or Watcher on Netflix and I didn't come up with anything, so I'm not 100% sure that anything was ever made, but they were saying it's, it was supposed to be comparable to the Amity Horror House, Amityville Horror House. Um, just instead of it being haunted from within, it's haunted from out, from the outside in. Um, and that's, that's pretty much all I could find on this Netflix house, or this Netflix deal that was made for the rights to tell the story of this house. Um, so yeah, I don't really have anything to close up with today. I'll do like my usual sign off tomorrow on part two. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this story. Hopefully it's long enough and you feel that it is a whole episode by itself and tomorrow's will be the same. It'll be a whole nother, uh, hopefully like 40, 45 minute episode like this one is. Um, and then later this week I will release the listeners episode. So hopefully you guys enjoy that as well. So that'll be on Friday. Um, but with that said, I'm going to get ready to go to bed because it's almost midnight. So I'm going to edit this kind of quick and release it for midnight. And I'm going to take myself to bed because I'm tired. <laughs> um, and I'll talk to you guys again tomorrow. So have a good night.